WLPN, 105.5 FM Chicago, and you're listening to Labor Express Radio, Chicago's only English-language labor news and current affairs radio program. News for info by working people. I'm your host, Jeremy Lacero, and this is the Sunday, May 17th, 2020 edition of Labor Express. On tonight's episode of Labor Express Radio, we continue our now nearly two-month-long examination of how unions and social movements are responding to the COVID-19 crisis, how we can practice social solidarity in the context of physical distancing, and how the working class has responded to the crisis with an historic explosion of self-activity, militancy, and creativity. As is nearly always the case, communities of color and immigrant communities are bearing the brunt of the crisis with the highest rates of both infections and deaths from the disease. Not surprising, since they are disproportionately represented among the essential workers, they often refer to themselves as the sacrificial workers, transit employees, grocery store clerks, nurses, sanitation workers, meatpacking plant workers, many of whom we've had featured here right on this program. They are also disproportionately low income, lack access to health care, and do not have the option to work from home, and so are facing dire straits in our new Great Depression. But people of color and immigrants are not just victims, they are also heroes in this story. The factory workers that you've heard about in this program who demanded safe workplaces and sick pay from their employers. Transit workers who kept our cities running, but at the same time demanded the implementation of policies to reduce the impact of the virus on employees and passengers alike. Nurses who not only tended to the sick and dying, but fought for desperately needed equipment to serve their patients as well as to protect themselves, their patients, and their families. All of these we have covered in previous programs, but there is so much more. Within weeks, actually less than that, within days of the realization of the depths of this crisis, working class communities of color mobilized and organized to provide mutual aid despite the limitations of physical distancing. This mutual aid took many forms. Check-ins on elderly neighbors living alone to make sure that they were safe. Bringing food and other needed essentials to hard-pressed families doing shopping trips for the more immune-sensitive, vulnerable members of the community, putting pressure on landlords, banks, car dealers, and others to back off as monthly payments got missed for people lacking paychecks. One of the groups that was quick to organize mutual aid in response to COVID-19 was Immigrant Solidarity DuPage. I've wanted to have them on the program for some time, as I've been impressed by the success and tenacity of this relatively small group of workers in the secluded west suburbs who established a much-needed and successful worker center. I now have that opportunity. We'll hear from Cristobal Cavazos, who will not only talk about their mutual aid efforts, but about the history of his group and the importance of worker centers in general. I've tried to emphasize on several of our recent programs the scale of the spontaneous outburst of workers' self-activity that has been one of the responses to the COVID-19 crisis. Indeed, I think the hundreds of strikes and workplace actions that have taken place across the country in the last couple of months are stunning in their seeming spontaneity and creativity, revealing a level of class consciousness that I think has perhaps eluded us previously. But note I say seeming spontaneity. Though I think spontaneous action on the part of workers is clearly a part of the story, it's never the whole story, and far too often it masks organizing and consciousness raising that has taken place, often for years, often quietly below the surface, to make this spontaneous outburst possible. A possible case in point is the situation of the workers at Amazon, which has become a poster child for much of the working class revolt in the face of the COVID-19 crisis. 
I've been endeavoring to have some of the Amazon workers on the program, and I expect that that will bear fruit on our next episode. You want to tune in for that. But tonight, I have an excerpt from one of the recent excellent webinars that Labor Notes has been organizing throughout the crisis. On March 19th, fairly early on in the crisis and fairly early on in the Amazon workers' fight back, Labor Notes hosted a webinar entitled Organizing in the Face of the Coronavirus. One of the panelists was Jonathan, an Amazon worker from New York City and member of Amazonians United, a growing informal association of Amazon workers that is national or even international in reach and has led many of the recent actions. What I think makes Jonathan's story interesting is that Jonathan started working at Amazon with a high level of political consciousness and immediately saw his work as an opportunity to organize with his fellow workers. When the COVID-19 crisis developed, it simply raised the urgency of their demands and spurred on his co-workers to take a more militant and successful actions than they had previously. Here's Jonathan. I, um, I'm a sortation associate at um, uh, one of the Amazon facilities here uh, in New York City. Um, so I, I, originally for me, I like got involved because you know for me i was just looking at some of the the relationships of like the way that our kind of left activism uh out here um really wasn't actually it it wasn't able to prioritize like anti-colonialism in its lens um and i realized okay oh that's because like a lot of there's like a deep need for us to actually be engaging uh colonized peoples in like, you know, in the way that we're actually organizing uh, in order to make that happen, in order to develop the, the you know, base of power for that, for that to like actually enter into a lot of our like broader like political demands. Um, and so for me, like when I was looking at like, okay, what can I get involved with that can help change that? I tried to look for uh, a workplace that was, you know, like filled with colonized people that like had uh, an employer that was not just exploitative to people inside of like, you know, the organ organization, um, but also like oppressive outside. And so Amazon was just like, clearly that, you know, uh, the vast majority, um, almost all people uh, that are like working there are people of color um, that it, you know, it, it's one of the most exploitative workplaces just by the definition of how much uh, uh, value the workers are creating and is being extracted out of them. And also like, you know, you know, my workplace, which is uh, like uh, almost 70% like black American folks, you know, there's also like the aspect of uh, Amazon like supplying technology to crack down on black liberation activists. So like from the very beginning, it was like very much uh, like politicized for me and like, and, and many of us. And so like, we came into it thinking, okay, like, how do we like connect all of these, these things, you know, and like, you know, at, at at a local level, you know? Um, And so like, from the very beginning, that kind of was like the the lens and, and framework, I guess, that we were kind of taking into this. And so locally, we looked at just, you know, what are like some basic quick wins that we can get? <laughs> um, uh, and for us that uh, we noticed that Amazon was violating uh, New York City's uh, sick leave policy. Um, and in fact, they're actually violating 
many sick leave policies. Um, and so, you know, between that and like, we noticed that like folks, there are folks out in, um, in, in Chicago and Sacramento that were like talking about uh, the fact that we were denied uh, paid time off. And so, you know, taking inspiration from them, we just were like, okay, so let's like add that to our demands and like see if we can like start kind of building out, um, you know, like a sentiment for like workers uh, nationally and, you know, uh, hopefully eventually like, you know, internationally that like we can be working on building all of these pieces together. Um, and so uh, in the middle of that though, in the middle of a, a petition for that, and uh, access to being able to, um, like, you know, there's like some other demands like access to being able to appeal if we've been fired unjustly and also like a raise, you know. <laughs> um, uh, uh, but while we were doing that, that's when like the coronavirus uh, outbreaks really hit New York. And so like, we had to like really quickly like see how uh, it related to the work that we were doing and seeing how we could pivot in a way that would be most meaningful. And we were, we came uh, upon the decision that what we needed to do was uh, like a, a national petition that would help us get more networked to people uh, everywhere um, and try to like, you know, try to start to build out a platform that would enable us as Amazon workers uh, to be able to, um, you know, to ha have enough of a foothold that Amazon can't just like close a single facility and be like rid of us. Um, and that was like very fortunately, like, you know, through reaching out to like lots of other folks um, and seeing like their interest in supporting it, uh, we were able to get a lot of folks on board. And, um, you know, so that I think that right now we're just under 2000 Amazon workers have like signed on to our petition. Um, and, you know, it, it's not, we're still like, like very much trying to work out what, what, we're, what we should be doing with it now. Um, but, uh, you know, that has been kind of, uh, you know, the process of us trying to go from our local struggles and then kind of marrying them to like national and uh, international struggles with in Amazon. Um, uh, so, you know, you know, what once was uh, us like, you know, just kind of like out of like people's frustration with them, like speeding up the belt and like, just kind of like letting packages like go and fall as like a kind of like a, you know, a, kind of like a more passive slowdown is like really, um, you know, through kind of things like that, we've like been able to build enough like, you know, solidarity that we can, you know, that we were able to like get people to like shut down uh, our warehouse uh, last night, actually, um, in response to there being uh, a case of like coronavirus at our warehouse. Um, and so like, you know, basically like there's a lot of people who are like scared and worried and so we've been like really trying to like uh figure out like how can we like support like all of our coworkers and um and you know um you know like su support our communities you know with the with our our like workplace activism you know um we've like very much tried to frame it as like you know we're keeping our our communities safe 
by ensuring that Amazon's not just shipping out packages without like, you know, like first actually, you know, practicing proper sanitation like practices, you know? Yeah, so um, right now we're, we're still like very much trying to figure out like some of these pieces, you know, I, I mean, I'm still getting texts of what we're trying to figure out to do tonight. Um, uh, but, you know, right now, like the, the challenge is that there's, there's a lot of folks um, uh, who are in the position where that even though we've, we've been able to get Amazon to, uh, to grant folks unpaid, unlimited unpaid time off for the time being, you know, like folks don't have money to do that. And, you know, uh, Amazon like pretends that if people are sick, you know, there's this like, you know, pool of money that they can have access to, you know, but it's like, it's completely like false. It's completely incorrect. Um, and so like people are, are still like in the very difficult situation of like deciding to come to work and like risk either like their health or like, you know, cause we have a, a decent amount of folks who like are actually kind of in that, that risk area. Um, uh, or like staying home and not getting paid. So we've been, you know, our demands, part of our, our, uh, national international like petition demands was like, um, you know, time and a half pay like as hazard pay. And for like anybody who's like particularly at risk, can just choose to like stay home and still get paid. And, you know, right now, um, you know, we've been able to like get small wins, but you know, we don't really have any like, like really broader network built out of support uh, for like the warehouse. And so like, this is kind of the first time that people are like seeing, oh, there's this fight here in Amazon in New York City. And so like now we're kind of in the process of like figuring out, okay, how do we how do we marry all of this sentiment uh, around us in the community where they recognize oh yeah like this is good Amazonians United is actually helping keep New Yorkers safe with this like with these actions uh, and like try to like turn that into support for like folks who like have to stay home uh, or have like uh, other like uh, you know issues just because of the way that this like conflict is is kind of uh, broken out. The full Labor Notes webinar is linked up on the Labor Express Facebook page at laborexpress.org, so you can check that out there. The Labor Notes website has tons of these webinars available now on their website, and they're all really good, so you can check those out. As I said earlier, we should have more Amazon workers in the program soon, and it will be interesting to further explore this relationship between spontaneity and organization, so definitely tune in for that. The Amazon workers also represent the type of unorganized workers I had mentioned I had hoped to discuss more on this program on some of our previous episodes, as they have been the ones leading a lot of the workplace actions that uh, we have been seeing around the country. Uh, much, much of our coverage so far in our previous programs has been of already unionized workers, the transit workers, nurses, and so on, or factory workers who are at least in the process of becoming union members. So many of the hundreds of workplace actions have been taken on by workers who are not members of formal labor organizations. But some of these have been workers that have been in contact at some point or another with worker centers, which often reach workers that traditional unions have not. And that brings us to our next segment tonight. Immigrant Solidarity DuPage formed in 2007, inspired by the 2006 May Day mega marches that returned May Day to its home of its birth, emboldened the contemporary immigrants' rights movement, 
and gave a boost to the labor movement all at the same time. More recently, the organization which has from its beginnings addressed the concerns of immigrant workers and their struggles on the job formally organized a workers' center, a type of workers' association that does not have the same collective bargaining power of a traditional union, but is also freed from some of the limitations and restrictions placed on unions under U.S. labor law. Cristobal Cavazos is one of the founders of Immigrant Solidarity DuPage, and he explained how the excitement of May Day 2006 convinced him of the need to organize immigrant workers in the underserved suburbs where he is from. I was in my 20s, you know, and uh, I had never seen anything like those mega marches there. I remember Halstead Street and Ashland just that flooded. I'd never seen so many people in my life um, going there uh, and then actually taking part in organizing. You know, I, I went on to start to go to Chicago from, I was living in Glendale Heights where I grew up and um, going to Chicago and taking part in that movement. And I, we just knew uh, that we had to come back here to the suburbs Again, you know, I grew up here that we had to form a radical movement out here in defense of the community and, um, and in defense of worker rights. Right. And, and like I was saying before, too, it's it's we don't focus enough on what's going on in the suburbs. And I think people have an idea in their head of the suburbs as a place that's filled mostly with white middle class people, these kind of, you know, middle class homes and, you know, white picket fences or whatever, you know, idea they got in their head. And right, right. They don't, you know, realize um, that there's a large working class, a very diverse working class out in the suburbs. Uh, I mean, Will County, which is just, you know, to the south of you guys in DuPage, that's the one of the the largest, I I think it's considered the largest inland port where they call, you know, basically it's a a complex of warehouses and, and rail yards and so on in the middle of the country where it's such that it's the hub of the logistics industry. And so there are just hundreds of thousands of people in that industry and then all these ancillary industries. I mean, it's it's a real hub of working class activity that people don't realize. Yes, it is. Yeah, it, you, Elk Grove Village, you know, Elk Grove Village has a huge industrial park. And, you know, you could, every factory and warehouse you could imagine is there in Elk Grove Village. So we're uh, very, you know, West Chicago, we have the industry. And, and as you're mentioning, around the Romeoville and Joliet area, it's the second largest concentration of warehouses in the United States after New Jersey. So we have a lot of workers out here, a lot of workers. And um, yeah, we kind of, I ended up here kind of by chance. You know, my, my parents were actually farm workers. They were, they were migrant workers. My mom was born in South Texas, a, a Tejana, you know, a Mexican-American of, of born in Texas. And my dad was from northern Mexico. And they came up here to Illinois for the first time. They were picking sugar beets in Danville. Um, which is an agricultural community uh, south of Joliet and, and Kankakee. They were picking sugar beets. And actually, the first time we came up here this far north, um, my parents were picking uh, cucumbers in Joliet. So we kind of got here, you know, is a, is a, to paraphrase Langston Hughes, you know, the, the suburbs were never the suburbs for me. <laughs> you know, they, Right. Right. Yeah. What actually, what a classic story that is. I mean, that, that, you know, again, people don't, I think, realize how much of farm labor there is in the Midwest. Um, You know, the, the, the Midwestern states are a real hub of activity for farm laborers as well. Um, And then again, a lot of that farm labor then oftentimes migrates into the industrial sector in the Midwest. So I think your, your family story is the same, you know, the story for probably millions of other Latinos. 
Yeah, you know, the, the, the migrant workers, you know, because you, you have the, the Latinos, they were from the railroads, you know, you have some dear brothers and sisters. We have an activist out here, Steve De La Rosa, that he came out here to his family to work in the railroads. You had the meatpacking plants. Um, but yeah, we had the, we're the branch from the farm workers and, um, they came up here in the, in the sixties actually. And, um, and settled down here when my father was able to find a job at the Dominic's. You probably remember the old Dominic's, um, company, the food company. He found a job at the, at the warehouse in North Lake, a local 705, a teamster. And, um, you know, given that job and given his union, um, you know, his, his being a, his union membership, they were able to send me to college. You know, we were able to buy a house. So, um, uh, you know, we kind of got a little bit of a of, of our stake out here, uh, given the union, my my father's union membership, and that really just took us out of poverty and and really just itinerant labor that 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 my family had been doing. Right, right. So the organization is uh, called Immigrant Solidarity DuPage, and I know there's different facets of the organization. A big part of it is the worker center. Is that right? That that's exactly right. And uh, we've been we've started the first worker center out here in 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 DuPage County. It's three years old, and uh, we have an active committee of about uh, 12, 13, 14 people. We meet every single week on this, and um, we we knew that we had to do a workers um, center early on in the group. We started the group in two thousand and seven, and um, you know to to struggle for immigrant rights, you know to change minds, to um, be a watchdog out here for Latinos. But the first calls that we started to come in were almost maybe about 70% workers' cases. And, and I remember in particular, one of the first cases that we took in the group was um, with the Steak and Shake restaurant that had sent out um, no-match letters to the company. And I don't think in those days, we none, none of us knew what a no-match letter was. <laughs> so uh, we had to go learn quickly, you know. Um, I was in my 20s, and um, we, we, we launched a struggle there, fighting against that company and protesting there. Um, so we kind of knew that our activism was going to be taking a different direction early on in the group. And uh, we went ahead and we studied with our dear brother, um, Jorge Mujica, with uh, Martin Unzueta, uh Tim Bell, who uh, I, I think he's, uh, he's, he's done incredible work over the years in, in Chicagoland. That was one of the influences of, of us. And um, so we went on in that three years ago, we declared ourselves an official worker center here in DuPage County. Great, great. And the Worker Center movement has been just terrific at reaching out to workers that have just not unfortunately had the opportunity to have unions represent them, uh, have not uh, had that, uh, you know, traditionally been organized by unions and so on. I'm curious, though, have you guys also been able to develop relationships with more traditional unions as well? You know, not as much as we would like. And and I think it's kind of like one of the realities is that um, – you know, when you're in the suburbs, we're in the DuPage County, I think that union life is just so irrelevant here. You know, you don't meet anybody that's in a union. You don't see anybody that's in a union. Yeah. Well, the people out here that are in the union, you get the carpenters and, you know, a lot of the, the, the more established workers out here. But as far as the, our base, you know, the, the factory workers and the, and the warehouse workers, um, we rarely come across many unions. I mean, we've met some people, the, the UE um, Carl Rosen and Mark Meinster, they've, 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 we've struggled with them from years ago. So we're, we're friends with them, Armando Robles from the uh, Republic window. But aside from them and maybe like a few um, interactions with SEIU local, SEIU local one that's been out here, um, you know, it's really not been a part of the Latino life out here, the union. 
And this is really where we've had to be that organization. We've had to be that working. We have to take the calls. You know, we have to lead people on in strike when they want to do that and file the cases of wage theft and um, you know, kind of go back and start to I really like the worker center movement because you really almost are going back to their roots. You know, we've been studying syndicalism, for example. We've been studying the uh, Enrique Ricardo Flores Magón, uh, two great Mexican anarchists um, and syndicalists, and, and going back and looking at some of the the IWW stuff of the past and um, tactics that to use on the workplace. So we're really trying to see a revival here of what you might call like a new kind of syndicalism. You know that um, you know when you're in the Latino community out here, when you have no documents, you know, they, they, you're pretty much, we just feel like we're behind enemy lines all the time here. Um, we found a lot of solace and inspiration in how much power we have as workers, you know, that, that we give the wealth and we create the wealth, but we could also take that wealth away. Um, so we've been publishing a lot of pamphlets on going on strike on the value of workers and how much labor, how much value we create out here in the suburbs. We really want the working class out here uh, to know their value, you know, to have this consciousness that I am a worker. I'm not just what they call me, you know, I'm not just the epithets that they give me, but, um, you know, we are a value force here and, um, and we shape history every day and, um, and collective actions here could shape history in a new way. Right. I think you're absolutely right. I think not only do worker centers uh, fill a niche that uh, traditional unions haven't been able to do, like you're saying, of reaching workers and reaching communities that have been left behind by the traditional labor movement, but they also are actually returning the labor movement to its roots. Uh, I think you're absolutely right about that. And I think your examples of the anarcho-syndicalist movement of the IWW and so on are are perfect examples. Uh, I don't know if you want to, there's any other cases or examples you want to highlight of some of the past work that you've done as a worker center. So we've been, um, you know, essentially they, 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 there's a lot of what you would call, what you see with wage theft out here. Um, I didn't know that there was as much wage theft, wage theft as there was until the calls have just, you know, ever since we started the group, they, they're taking on, wage theft. Um, we have a case that we are just settled with the NLRB um, of a case of some workers who got a no-match letter. Um, they had received it last year, and we were fighting against the boss not to fire them because these are workers that had been in the it's a factory in, in West Chicago. They'd been there over 20 years, a lot of them. A lot of these workers are in their 50s. And, um, and so we organized these workers because they came to us and like, you know, what are we going to do? We're going to get fired at Christmas time. And, um, and so we brought them in here to Casa DuPage. We formed a workers association. Um, I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing when workers form associations because as we know with NLRB laws, when there's two or three workers that are united, uh, you're essentially working as a collective unit. So we brought them into a collective unit and we struggled and we protested this place. We did press conferences, we did call-in campaigns, you know, whatever we could throw at this place, um, uh, fighting these no-match letters, which have really been um, I think this has really been our major case that we've done out here is, is, is lately, at least, is fighting these no-match letters. Um, just this idea where in this particular factory you have an owner who buys the company. Uh, you had this old boss who had been around for years and who got along well with the owner. Um, this new owner comes in and his immediate thing is, you know, we're going to cut costs here. I know that people don't have a document here, so we're going to go and send them these letters here. And, uh, and just use this as a convenient excuse to just scrape away and, and shave off 25 workers. And they had already been getting the workers that were there to start to train temp workers to come in and take their place. So we felt this was a complete 
outrage here. Uh, we organized these workers. We protested here, and we took this all the way to the NLRB. And um, you know, they, they, we've we've taken this a lot farther than than we thought that it could. And uh, we just reached reached a settlement with these workers um, last week. And uh, I think that kind of shows what um, you know one of the what some of the things that we can do because um, I think before we started Immigrant Society page out here, and particularly the Worker Center. I think a lot of workers were just resigning themselves. You know, this is the United States. We're going to get screwed over. You know, I'm a first generation immigrant. I'm just going to sacrifice my life. So I love that we've been able to come in and, and trade a lot of fronts. You know, I, that's kind of our goal. And all of these warehouses and factories that you see in West Chicago and Addison and uh, Elk Grove Village and, and Bolingbrook here, we're trying to set up little fronts. And with these fronts here, you know, with the information, with the consciousness, with the access here, uh, with what we do, which is bringing people together here, um, kind of see these fronts as like the, the, the seeds of a transformation of the whole place. Because what we would really love to see is a complete regeneration and reforging of the, of the syndicalist movement, the labor movement here, uh, forming unions out here. And uh, in, in these unions, you know, giving people that are, that are just uh, expendable workers, you know, permanent, making the bosses out here. You see extreme wealth in the suburbs. You see some wealthy people in the Hinsdales and in the Elmhurst here. Just people have more money than you could imagine. Um, a lot of these factories and warehouses, the bosses are there in their luxury cars here. So we know there's an extreme um, imbalance of wealth here. And, and, and we're, we see the Casa DuPage Worker Center really on a, on a revolutionary path of forging a new equality out here uh, in getting the, the rich to pay their due and giving the workers to get their due. Right. Do you, you mind mentioning the name of that company? Is that okay? Or is that uh, something you're not ready to do right now? Or Yeah, the, the company was, we, we settled already at the HFI factory in, uh, in West Chicago, uh, which is in an, an industrial zone there where there's a lot of Mexican workers. That's where um, really the hub of where Mexican workers around here work. And um, so that was a company that, um, that like I say, they were, um, you know, they, 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 they got rid of some workers that really shouldn't have been got rid of. And, um, but I think in this company here, in the protest and the action out here, that a lot of other workers have come to us and they said, you know, we're in the same thing. Um, and so we're finding that the only really way that we could respond to some of these no match letters is through organizing the workers, you know, through organizing the workers and fighting back. You're listening to Labor Express Radio, which calls only English language labor news and current affairs radio program. We need to take a short station ID break, but when we return, we'll hear more from Cristobal Cavazos of Immigrant Solidarity DuPage on how worker centers are a powerful tool in the arsenal of the labor movement. So stay tuned for that. You're listening to Labor Express Radio News for people by working people. Before the break, Cristobal Cavazos of Immigrant Solidarity DuPage was talking about the protected concerted activity, the legal right of workers they have when they take a workplace action together as a group, even if that group is as small as two or three workers, to improve the conditions in their workplace. I picked up the conversation highlighting how workers' centers are able to help workers exercise their far too little exercised legal right to protected concerted activity to win improvements on their job. You, what you're able to use there, too, as you point out, was uh, the workers' protected concerted activity, which, you know, traditionally unions, the way that they tend to operate, right, is they uh, try to get a majority of uh, of, of uh, people in a particular plan to 
to uh, sign a union card, vote in a uh, in a, a representation election, and then once they get that majority and they get the you know uh, the authorization in an election, only then do they uh, then fight for a first contract and and then fight to have a, a you know a, a improvements through that contract. And that's a very long process. It takes often years to accomplish. There's all kinds of various roadblocks that uh, that companies can put in place to to prevent that from happening. It's more often than not, it's not successful, which is why the union movement has you know been so uh, hard pressed to grow in recent years. But what you're able to do, and what worker centers have really you know relied on, is workers, as you say, you know, two, three, four, five workers in a workplace can come together and act in a concerted activity um, to put pressure on their employer to make changes in the workplace. And that's actually protected activity by law. And they can pressure and and, and force an employer to make changes um, even if they don't have a majority of, of, of the uh, workplace organized, even without a union contract. Yeah, it's it's really a beautiful thing, and and this is what in the in the worker center movement really it's been a, a wonderful tool that we have because uh, in this case that I mentioned and a lot of other cases here, you know, uh, we form that association, we go to the NLRB, and when the boss immediately their their knee jerk reaction just to fire the leadership here, you know, it's not so easy that leadership is in an association, you know, they're in they're taking part in collective activity here. So in that way, we form a protection to the workers here, and uh, and why not use that protection here, you know, to to go all the way, you know, let's go ahead and unionize this plant, or let's take this plant on strike, you know. Um, but I love, you know, this. I, I I've always been um when I first got into activism, I would talk to guys from the, you know, the old timers. Remember the old old timers? Uh, we're losing a lot of them now, but you know, the guys from the 40s and the 50s, you know. That um, they they say I remember Norm Roth. I don't know if you remember the name. He was uh, the, one of the organizers of the International Harvester, and and I remember talking to him and you know that spirit that those old dudes had, you know, um, and and I love that, you know, that you just see it's not about the reform. I think that um, you know that we, we it's probably know better than me. I mean, so much union unions and um, it, they're just not appealing to someone my age. And younger because it just seems reformism and you know just a little bit better than than what it would be otherwise and and worse like here in the Mexican community we have a lot of cases more than you would think where we actually find ourselves um struggling against the union you know in, in a lot of these cases here and these just are some of these unions that have become complacent um some of these unions where they they really have not done any kind of leadership with their with the workers here. And, and I think that we've come in and a lot of these old unions have turned into um, revamped unions with a rank and file that's more conscious, that's more aware, that's more active here, and that has a beautiful site. And that site is, you know, essentially, you know, taking more and more of, of the profit of that company and putting it into their pockets. Right. Right. Yeah. Good point. Very good point. Well, I want to move on uh, to some other topics here because the, the reason I reached out to you actually was some of the more recent work you've been involved in. Um, I, you know, I, I've I've followed your you know uh, work for years uh, on social media and so on, and been impressed with what you guys are doing. But what really caught my attention is when the COVID nineteen crisis, um, you know, started a few months ago, and I was looking and seeing what various uh, organizations and social movements and so on were doing this to respond to the situation. Um, your group stood out as one that I was impressed with your response. Um, you know, I, I early on realized that, you know, this was going to be a challenge for how do we practice, 
you know, social solidarity in this era of, which I don't like the word of, you know, social distancing. I, I, I've ad- adopted physical distancing, which I think is a better term. I, I don't like this term social distancing, but, um, but, uh, but how do we practice social solidarity? And you guys started this, you know, mutual aid uh, project um, that you launched. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, we saw this coming, my dear brother. And I think actually, you know, to be completely honest with you, the first mutual aid effort that I saw or heard of, you know, in, when this crisis happened was actually from yourself. <laughs> I remember seeing that you were, you were passing something on Facebook about mutual aid. And, um, you know, we had been talking about this in our worker center. I'm like, well, here we go. You know, Jerry Mudlo said it was doing it. We got it. We got to join the club here. Um, so we, we immediately voted. Um, you know, we had already had like a lot of groups out here in, in Chicago, a rapid response network. Um, and, you know, we it's a sizable, maybe like 40 people on that network and um, maybe like 75 people that um, we have contact with in the case of a radio or any kind of immigrant operation. So we were able to uh, easily vote and say, hey, you know, we're going to change our work, our emphasis here from, um, you know, from the immigrants, from the raids to doing mutual aid work. Um, and also something else, last year we had sent um, about seven tons of stuff to, um, to our Central American brothers and sisters in Southern Texas. And we had been talking about our mobilization to, to go back there in March. And so all of this kind of hit us and we kind of knew, no, we're going to stay here. We're going to do this mutual aid network. Um, we're going to get people the food. We're going to send these volunteers out here. Um, and also what we've really been seeing, like, of course, struggling against the landlords out here, uh, organizing workers in contaminated factories out here. Um, even I had to call a car dealership last week because um, they, this car dealership was threatening to repo this woman's car, you know, so... Um, we really wanted to do whatever we can here to empower the community, to give the community hope. Um, you know, the solidarity, we're, our, we're immigrant solidarity page, but the act of solidarity is, is a really beautiful thing. You know, that's being there with someone. That's, that's uh, letting people that in, in really desperate situations out here. Um, I think of West Chicago as an example that you have people laid off. You have people that are sick. You have people that have no stimulus um, bills or any kind of relief because they have no documents here. Um, and so really, and, and then on top of that, you get what you might call the, the nonprofit industrial complex that a lot of these mass nonprofit organizations out here, I mean, some of these establishment groups that I'm sure everyone has heard of, you know, people calling us and saying, you know, these people won't even have anything to do with us. They won't take us in. So, um, you know, given those circumstances, we knew that we had to come in with energy, with freshness, you know, with the spirit of hope here, um, that, you know, they, they, I think the Bible says it best to be a, a light in the darkness in this time here. And, um, and really, you know, times when uh, we have so many people just reeling economically and reeling with their health here, you know, come in there with this group of 40, 50, 60 people here of, of people that believe in solidarity and, and lift up the people that are suffering as much as we can in, in this area here. Uh, and particularly the Latino community, which, which, um, I had mentioned to you earlier that we have four times the cases of the Anglo community here in DuPage County, Addison, uh, West Chicago, Glendale Heights, which are all very Latino uh, cities, being hit the hardest here. So we're just trying to come in here and give and, and do and, and, and sacrifice ourselves our, our to the cause of, of, a, of a greater good in this moment. Because this is, I mean, as you know, this is, we've never seen anything like this before. Um, but in this time, you know, I think it's, it's 
it's any great activist or any great revolutionary has been. It's, it's really the principles that guide us. And in this case, it's the principle of radical compassion, of acts, of, you know, of, of solidarity here. And, and this is what we're trying to focus on to anchor us in this moment. You're listening to Labor Express Radio, which calls only English language labor news and current affairs radio program. As you heard in that previous segment, Immigrant Solidarity DuPage practices mutual aid in a broad, expansive way. They've helped provide food and other essential support for hundreds of workers, but their efforts go far beyond that, including helping the Smithfield Meatpacking Plant workers organize. The deaths among meatpackers across the country has been truly outrageous, and Trump's use of his federal authority to compel private corporations not to produce much-needed life-saving equipment, which they really needed to do, but to force workers back into these dangerous virus-breeding facilities is truly criminal and something I hope to cover further on upcoming episodes of Labor Express. Immigrant Solidarity DuPage helped the Smithfield workers in St. Charles shut down their plant despite Trump's orders via the health department. So the mutual aid work really is quite broad then. It, it, it involves everything from, I know, I know you guys have been collecting food and collecting all kinds of goods to get out to people. You, you mentioned that, you know, contacting this car dealership to help this woman uh, prevent her car from being repossessed and contacting workplaces and so on. So it really is any kind of solidarity you can offer to, uh, to, to help out fellow workers who are facing hardships brought on by this crisis. We've really had to be versatile during this COVID um, time. And, um, you know, as you said, you know, we've been going up against car dealers, going up against the banks even. We've been going up against um, the landlords and going up against the company here. We recently just had a case two weeks ago of the Smithfield pork pressing, processing plant in St. Charles. Uh, there's a Smithfield pork, pressing, uh, pork processing plant, which I, 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 I'm sure you know. Um, they had a very contaminated plant out here in St. Charles, and they were, um, which was refusing to shut the plant in spite of the fact that there was about 20 workers or more that were sick. Um, most of the workers, Latino, and um, workers were just calling nonstop, you know, here we're at Smithfield, what can we do? And I'm like, um, you know, go on strike. <laughs> you know, we, we even made an info, you know, the only way, to, the safest place for you to be is on strike, you know, don't. Don't stay home, you know, go in there and walk out and announce the strike here and, and we'll come in with a letter and announce that strike. Um, but in any case, uh, we didn't get the strike. Uh, we were able to do some work organizing there in that plant and, um, and actually get, be able to get that plant to shut down um, by a few calls to the, to the health department. And we were happy enough to have enough worker leadership, and enough worker um, initiative there that the workers were able to guarantee and get two weeks of paid uh, sick leave while they're cleaning up that plant. Yeah, that's a tremendous success. That That's a perfect example to highlight. Yeah, yeah. so the work that you guys have been doing and the mutual aid work has just been tremendous. And, and I, that's what I really wanted to highlight, and I'm so glad you're able to, to talk with me about it. Um, and in, in talking about that mutual aid work, you brought up something else there too that I do want to highlight as well. So I'm glad you brought it up, which is the disproportionate impact of the COVID-19 uh, crisis on the Latino community. Um, and just, I want to give out a few numbers here. Um, for Chicago, the numbers for Chicago are startling to start off with, which is uh, one statistic that I saw was that 37% of the cases of COVID-19 and 25% of the deaths 
a bit among Latinos when the uh, Latino population in Chicago is 29%. So that's a, you know, a definitely a disproportionate uh, number there. But it's even worse when you look for Illinois. So um, for Illinois, I guess 60% of uh, the COVID cases have been among Latinos when the uh, actual population of Latinos for the state is only 17%. So it's way out of whack uh, in terms of uh, the percentage of Latinos that have been coming down with uh, COVID. And I think you said to me that uh, uh, it's like uh, uh, one in four. Or, uh, was What was your number for the suburbs? I apologize. Yeah, the, the, the number of Latinos with COVID out here, it's four times higher than the, than the Anglo, than the white population here in DuPage County. So we are being hit hard. And uh, DuPage County is about to hit 4,000 cases of COVID um, of diagnosis. So we are being hit hard, and, and again, the, the towns that are the worst hit, the Latino towns, the Addisons and the Bensonvilles and the, and the West Chicago, uh, the town where I grew up in Glendale Heights is uh, number three, I think. So we're being particularly hard hit here, and, and as you know, my dear brother, I mean, it's a Latino community in the factories, you know, it's a Latino company, that, the community that can't work from home, you know, it's a Latino community right now in the warehouses that are working right now, you know. Um, and a lot of plants that um, they argue that by the phone calls that we have that are not essential at all. But, um, you know, it, it's us being out there. It's us that don't have health insurance. You know, it's us that I and I'm sure, you know, here's the wacky thing, you know, that with so many of us not having health insurance and working in these low sector, low wage sector jobs. I mean, I think a lot of us have COVID and we don't even know or we do know and we just don't want to accept it or, or we we don't have the, the means to accept it. Yeah, I think you hit on two important facts there of probably why the numbers are so outrageous for the Latino community, which is, you you know, so many of those jobs that have been considered essential where people have continued to go to work are jobs that are, you know, majority Latino, uh, you know, jobs. So you mentioned uh, the meatpacking plant out in St. Charles or the workers in the grocery stores. Um, you know, these are jobs that have been, you know, for a long time dominated by Latino workers. And then you mentioned again, the uh, you know, lack of access to health care. And again, if you don't have access to health care and you don't have access to getting tested and so on, then you're more likely to, you know, contract the illness and not get treated for it. So those are two factors. I'm wondering if there are any other factors too. I, I'm wondering if just uh, poverty and, you know, one of the things I know certainly from my old neighborhood of Pilsen um, that's always been a problem is overcrowded housing, right? You have a lot of cases where you've got, you know, large number, large families living in, you know, very cramped conditions. And then in, you know, housing that's, you know, uh, you know, large apartment buildings with large families in, in very cramped housing. I wonder if that's a factor too. Yeah. You know, big time. I mean, um, like West Chicago, for example, is a case in point. They have the largest class sizes there. Um, of any school, you know, the, the, the concentration of apartments there, the people, I, I mean, out here in the suburbs, a lot of us live in apartments. You know, you, you think of the wealthy houses here. You know, I'm, I'm talking right now from Wheaton, which is a, is a, a quite middle-class city, but uh, on the edges of Wheaton, on the edges of there's the apartments, you know, and these are the hotbeds of, of, the, of the contagion. So, um, I mean, one of the things when you don't have the means, I mean, you don't have the space, you know, you're crowded, you're crowded at work, you're crowded out here, you know, that, that you're always being around and, um, you know, being exposed. And when you're in the Latino community and the only really thing you have is your body, you know, to generate any kind of, you know, the labor theory of value that you, it's your body that's, that's throwing in all the, 
all those hours there of any kind of value here. I mean, uh, body intensive stuff in these factories and the warehouses here, um, you would get this, this catastrophic um, effect that this COVID has had in our community. You're listening to Labor Express Radio News for people by working people. In this final segment of my interview with Cristobal Cavazos of Immigrant Solidarity Page, I asked him to respond to a somewhat provocative question that I posed on the Labor Express Radio Facebook page. The question was, was this May Day of 2020 the most significant May Day since 2006? Well, I really appreciate you talking about this because this is really important stuff. And again, I really appreciate the the mutual aid work um, that you guys have been involved in out there. And I'm glad we could, you know, highlight in the show. And I, it, it's, it's a huge compliment. Uh, I, I can't tell you, I'm, a, I, I'm kind of blushing here that you would mention that, that I had any influence at all on your guys' decision to, to launch that work. So I'm, I'm, I'm thank you for saying so. I, 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 I'm a little flabbergasted by that, that idea, but thank you sir, so much for saying that. <laughs> one one last thing that I wanted to to, to kind of raise, um, we talked about the fact that you guys, uh, you know, mentioned that uh, you guys kind of got launched to some degree out of the mega marches. That that was a big influence on your decision to form the uh, the worker center uh, out there in the suburbs and so on. You know, I put out a uh, kind of a an idea or a thought on the uh, the Labor Ex- Express uh, Facebook page uh, shortly after the most recent May Day here. It was it was more of a teaser, just kind of a thought experiment maybe to see what response I get. I didn't get a lot of response to it, and I, and I don't know really what I think about it myself, um, but I'm curious to get your feedback or thought on which is I, I toyed with the idea of whether or not uh, May Day 2020 could possibly be the most important May Day since May Day 2006. And, and hear me out for my rationale on this, which is um, we've seen this strike wave across the country uh, in the last few months, this just tremendous amount of worker self-activity uh, over the last few months that's really impressed me. Um, and we saw certainly, at least in the buildup to May Day, a heck of a lot of talk of, you know, workers' actions and so on. Now, the question is how much of that actually came to pass. Uh, and I really haven't been able to gather. There's the, the, the mainstream press actually seemed to really have caught on to the idea, and there were a lot of stories in the mainstream press about all these actions that were going to happen on May Day. There was a very little actual concrete, solid numbers or evidence or evidence of how much actually did. And then there seemed to be very little kind of buzz, I'd say, you know, um, in amongst the left in the days that followed that there was much that really came of May Day, other than kind of the virtual May Day, right? There was a lot of virtual May Day stuff that happened. Uh, so I, I'm kind of questioning whether May Day 2020 was that big a deal. But I keep saying that I don't know that we'll know right now i think it'll 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 be what we see come out of this whole covid crisis in the end in terms of does this incredible increase in worker self activity we've seen in recent months really change the scene in terms of the working class in this country moving forward what do you think about this idea well you know what as far as like that like the amazon strike was concerned, you know, um, I think we had the issue that that really wasn't coming from, in, in a lot of cases, the workers themselves, you know, um, that you kind of had this big framework here that um, I think um, from some people that, um, you know, I, I just didn't, like, I, I have a friend that works at Amazon, he didn't know about any of it, 
you know. Um, but what is more exciting to me, I think that what, what we're trying to get at here more, and, and what I'm kind of hearing in, in your words is, um, I think that this has been an important meeting. And, uh, and the reason being is like uh, when Mayday came across, it was it two weeks ago now almost, um, I mean, we were just being flooded by calls. I think there's a collective memory in the Latino community of, you know, Mayday 2006, which was, I think, the closest, one of the closest things to a, a general strike that we've seen. Is that, is that correct? Uh, you being the, yeah, I think that's, a, that's the, I mean, that's certainly the most, the closest thing that I've seen to a general strike when I just, by my memories in 2006 and 2007. But, um, you know, all over the Latino community and the people calling, I mean, the word strike was in the air and uh, organizing. And I think that's the key here. That, uh, I think that this made it a lot of people starting to organize. And there are a lot of people organizing right now. Because keep in mind, it's not us, the worker centers, that are, are going to be doing the work for the workers. You know, it's, it's the workers that need to do the self-organizing themselves, you know. And us being out there supporting the workers and giving them the resources and connecting them with other resources. But um, this Mayday, I mean, like I say, we must have had about, um, on my phone, maybe about the 20 calls of different companies. You know, hey, this is what's going on. What should we do? Go on strike. Okay, well, I'm going to start to talk to my workers, you know. Um, we did know out here of about four different strikes um, that um, that have been out here. Uh, you probably remember that in, in Melrose Park there's been a pretty substantial strike. Um, there was a strike of some workers in DeKalb that we got called about. That the workers actually actually went out on a strike. Um, we were trying to get a factory out here in West Chicago to go on strike uh, until we found out that they had a union. <laughs> so we started to pressure the union. But uh, I think that we... Um, I think that uh, the worker centers, the groups like Arise and, and uh, groups like the, 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 the Community and Workers' Rights of Martino Sueta and um, the, the Chicago Workers Collaborative, I think that, um, that we've really, our existence has been a wonderful prop up for the workers um, because I think that uh, really seeing that um, what essential workers versus non-essential workers, seeing who the essential workers are in DuPage County, who are undocumented immigrants from Mexico, you know, they have no benefits, they have no security of their life or health here, you know, what they only have, and I think that what people are starting to realize is the struggle, you know, is the solidarity, is the, the strike, you know, as, 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 as the syndicalist movement has always had it, I, I think this has become very clear um, from, the, from, the, from May Day this year and, and just this COVID crisis here. Um, and I think, and, and I know offhand of about 10 or 12 companies out here where the workers are organizing, they're still trying to um, either shut their plant down or to form a union, or they're planning a strike here, and they're trying to get the critical mass here, or they, they want to get a union drive here. So I do think there was a paradigm shift this year. I think that there was a lot of seeds planted and that they're being planted and, and hopefully coming to fruition right now. And, and we're just here to stand those flames. Right, right. Well, uh, Cristobal, I, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, your your energy and enthusiasm is infectious, uh, and it makes me hopeful for the future. So uh, it's been really quite a pleasure to talk with you, and, and we're definitely going to have to have you on more often to get an update about what's going out, on out there in the suburbs because it's just so important. And I'm sorry it took this long to get you on, but we won't we won't wait this long again. We'll we'll definitely have you on more often in the future. You know, I really appreciate it, my dear brother. I send you a big abrazo and stay strong. Immigrant Solidarity Page is going to be holding another important action on Monday afternoon. 
uh, both in person and by phone on behalf of the Worker Center members uh, facing eviction. So if you're interested in that, check out their Facebook page, which is linked up to the Labor Express Facebook page at laborexpress.org. I know they're looking for support from the broader community on that action, uh, and you can participate actually no matter if you're out there in the service or in the city because there's going to be a phone component. So um, if you're interested in that, check that out. Again, they're linked up on our, our website, laborexpress.org. That's all for tonight's program at Labor Express, a nonprofit 501c3 member of IBW Local 1220. Views expressed on Labor Express are those as producers, not those of the IBW. Labor Express is a production of the Committee for Labor Access in Chicago, the world capital of the labor movement. The songs are themed was called Worker Songs, written by Ed Pickford and recorded by the Dropkick Murphys. Tune in next Sunday at 8 p.m. for another edition of Labor Express. Thank you.